Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to December's Movies Podcast. Coming up, we review Cars 2 in 3D on Blu-ray, plus we also look at some Christmas movies, alternative and otherwise. And joining me for the Movies Podcast this month is Simon Chris, Mark Portwright, and Steve Withers. Good evening, guys. Hello. Good evening, Phil. So, moving on and getting straight into things straight away, as you normally do. First things first and all that. And uh, we're going to talk Cars 2, and Simon's going to tell us all about it. Thanks, Phil. Cars 2, the uh, latest film from Pixar. This is the, the 3D disc. We've actually reviewed both on sites. Um, this that I looked at was the uh, 3D version, which comes with the 2D disc as well and the and a di- digital copy um this is the uk version but it is region free so you can be you can actually play it anywhere the 3d disc is 2.39 to 1 aspect ratio it's got 7.1 sound which is quite phenomenal we'll talk about that in a minute i'll go through some of the extras on it it does actually have an exclusive 3d extra which is quite rare these days on any 3d disc to have anything any extras in 3d we have the the short air meter which is a short five minute thing which concentrates on meter as indeed does this uh, entire film meter is uh, is a, an aeroplane in this one and he does his basic tall tale insanity thing um 5.1 sound pretty good the uh, rest of the extras are on the 2d disc um you have air mater again you have a, a toy story three characters play something in uh, called hawaiian vacation uh, another five minute short which is actually quite funny um i actually enjoyed that more than i enjoyed cars too um, again, we can, you know, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, I would think the the best extra on the entire disc is the audio commentary with director John Lasseter and the co-director Brad Lewis. Uh, Brad Lewis. Listening to these guys, if you've ever heard any of uh, Lasseter's commentaries before, you know he's very, very enthusiastic about everything he does. Um, and he can almost talk you into saying this is actually a good film because he, take, he goes into such detail and they, the, the story development that it's gone through and the, the arcs that they try to get into the actual uh, story. Almost, not quite. This set also comes with a, a complete bonus disc, um, which I'm not sure the 2D disc comes with it, um, unless you get the Superplay, maybe. Not sure, but um, this, this set comes with a, a bonus extras, which has got... It's a, it's a world map, and there's loads and loads and loads of bitty little extras that you that doesn't have a play or function. Um, it says on the box two hours, and it probably works out about that. But they're so bitty and all over the place that really very very difficult to get into. And a lot of it is repeated in the auto commentary anyway. Um, what it is missing is, is some sort of picture in picture thing that uh, just all encompass it and get it all together. Um, nevertheless, moving on from that, I think because it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, if you need to know everything, they're all on the site there. As for the 3D picture itself, well, got to be honest, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, for my money, I think it's the best 3D picture I've seen. Certainly, the best um, computer animated 3D picture. The the 
depth of field that you get from everything, the solidity of the objects within the layers of the um, field and the the parallax that you get both into and out of is just phenomenal. Steve, you've seen it. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely, Simon. It was a spectacular 3D presentation, um, beautifully animated, excellent use of 3D. Um, you know, they use it as a part of the story, uh, which is the way it should be done. You know, it's not just a gimmick. It's actually part of the storytelling, I think. I mean, definitely 3D is, is the preferred viewing way, way to see it, um, if you have a choice. Whilst I, I didn't particularly enjoy the film, I, I thought the 3D was absolutely spectacular. Agreed, absolutely. Um, and the sound as well, um, 7.1 um, HD, DTS HD Master Audio, absolutely immersive, fantastic. Front, left, right, up, down, backwards, forwards, bass, up the wazoo. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's really, really good, and it enhances the visuals no end. Um, just absolutely spectacular. Um, and it's such a shame that it's this presentation is on such a... a mediocre film um I, i'd actually go further than that simon i'd say it's pixar's first stinker uh i think it's a shockingly bad film i mean mater is not a great character anyway yeah. and had built the entire film around him it was he, he was so annoying and uh, and I, I found it difficult to get through it actually yeah and i quite enjoyed cars i mean the first one i i, I thought that was quite sweet the whole small town setting and everything was, was genuinely quite sweet um, and quite emotional and the concept of, you know, them being left behind by the interstate. Because Phil and I went on a trip on Route 66 when, when we were in the States back in January and, and it's just like that. It's, everything's gone. It's been killed by the interstate. No one gets off the interstate anymore and all those little towns just died. And, and, and that's genuinely quite emotional. Whereas this has just uh, clearly been designed to, 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 you know, so it's globetrotting, get as many countries as you can in, nice big market, sells lots of toys. And that's the only reason this film got made, because there's lots and lots of merchandising with cars. Um, even though most people would, would probably pick cars, the original film has been one of the least favourite Pixar movies. Yeah, that's um, a very good point there, actually. Um, picking up on, on one of the extras is uh, one of the, the toy, um, Finn McMissile. The, the toy was designed in conjunction with the filmmakers so that it would sell better yeah i think they're called toy centric <laughs> movies a uh, word that was first used to describe batman and robin uh and it's true i mean, I mean there's no question that 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 if it was just based upon cars one of the least popular and least successful pixar movies you wouldn't be the first choice to make a sequel to um but what we don't realize is it sells billions of dollars worth of merchandising to kids uh mm. and that's why it exists and, and unfortunately uh, and it's the first time I think that, that I can think of a Pixar movie that were because Pixar are very good at making films where the stories that keep you know, the animation is amazing, but they start with a really good story, good characterization, you know, and build from that. And I don't think that's the case with Cars 2. I think Cars 2 was designed, you know, as a, as a gigantic two hour advert for the toys. We've gone through the disc details and everything else. I haven't seen Cars 2. I don't think Mark's seen it either. Have you, Mark? No, I'm afraid I haven't. Yeah, so I mean, Cars, the original movie, I thought was was quite a sweet little animated movie. I didn't think it was particularly badly made and it certainly held, held my attention and it didn't come across as a, as a as an advert for toys. It actually had a bit of a story about the old Route 66 and, you know, the highway and, and how it killed off uh, small communities and that kind of thing. So where does car t Cars 2 go wrong? Cars 2... Well, okay. Basically... Think... <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. You can kick it. Yeah, and you see... It's it the, the, its biggest problem is it centres around Mater. It puts Mater to the front, and it puts Mater in a in a fish out of water scenario. In that he they think he's a 
a uh, a spy. There's a big espionage um, store be- behind the scenes story where they've got an alternative fuel and a, and a global um, conspiracy to discredit the global the 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 alternative fuel so that a uh, huge oil field owned by uh, cars called Lemons, which are all the you know the old Russian things like Skodas and that, which used to break down all the time, own this oil field and they're going to take over the world with fiscal money because they own this field and they're going to discredit this thing. It's, it's almost complicated. So to counterbalance this quite complicated idea, they put Mater in the middle of it and he's, it's annoying. It is actually quite annoying. And it makes it very, very difficult to sit through. And it's such a shame because they do have so many ideas in there they 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 have got um the, the friendship between mater and, and mcqueen lightning mcqueen is tested and that should have been a core element you, you scratch your head thinking it, the elements are there but it just doesn't gel and when you listen to lassiter and, and his description of how it should work you think yeah it should work but it doesn't it's it's such a shame feels cynical that's the problem it just feels very cynical i mean like phil said one of the joys of the first film was the small town environment and the characters pretty much none of whom are really in the film aside from Mater mm. and McQueen uh, obviously you know Doc, Doc Hudson was Paul Newman <laughs> Paul Newman uh, is dead so clearly and he's not, not, a, there was a nice little tribute to him within mm-hmm. the film briefly but uh, but yeah none of the characters that you like from the first movie are, are in this movie which is annoying in itself and it, it, just, it just felt very cynical to me and, and very much uh, designed to tick all the boxes you know get the widest coverage ge- geographically you know in terms of global box office um, and to stick in as many possible different toys with missiles popping out the sides and all the things they can put into the toys to make them entertaining for kids it felt like an advert it felt like a transformers movie in a way which is you know and that is a film based upon a toy line the way you described it there simon i thought george lucas had written it the way you were <laughs> describing it yeah it kind of has that feel to it you know it kind of has that feel there's no heart to it you know that's yeah. its biggest yeah. problem it doesn't have that pixar empathy that we get when you watch a pixar film you get you know you, it touches you in some way and you can feel with the characters you don't get that with this film you just, you just don't get it. You don't care about any of them, particularly yeah, the Matrix. I mean, it's just a pain in the arse. The two previous Pixar films, there's a Toy Story 3, which, you know, I wet like a baby at the end of, and Up, where I was crying like a baby mm. in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, those films really, really hit you emotionally. Um, and, and Cars just, just felt like an empty, you know, it felt like a big, glossy, expensive, really well-made toy advert. But it does look fantastic. You know, it look, annoyingly, it looks spectacular. <laughs> annoyingly, it looks incredible. Um, but I'm sadly, yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, whereas I watch any Pixar filming, I'm, I'm about to watch Toy Story 1, 2, and 3 again in mm-hmm. 3D, and I'm looking forward to that, because, yeah. you know, they're great movies, really, really, really great movies. But this is the this is the first Pixar film where I thought, that's not very good. Yeah. I mean, they had to have a stinker, they had to have a bomb in the end. Well, it's, not, it's going to make a ton of money, it's not like it's, it's fell at the box. Well, it already has. It already has, it's made, it's made its production costs yeah, yeah. already. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to make money, but I mean, I think uh, creatively it's their first, uh, they dropped the ball yeah. for the first time. Planes, which is the offshoot of this, will be uh, a little bit better. A little, I saw a little trailer for that, which looked quite funny because it was clearly a, a Top Gun Mickey take. Yeah, um, and, and and the animation again was amazing. But I saw, I saw the trailer for their next film, uh, Brave, which is set in the Scottish mm-hmm. Highlands, which yep. didn't look particularly interesting, I have to say. And there's also Monsters University, which is going to be the prequel to Monsters Inc., which again, Monsters Inc. was never one of the great Pixar movies, and you know, I'm beginning to wonder if they're starting to lose their way. Going after the money now rather than the, uh, the story. Well, they're owned by Disney, aren't they? They're no longer independent. And obviously, Lassie's yeah. quite busy running, running the whole of Disney animation. I'm surprised he had time to make cars too, actually. So, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens when Brave comes out next summer. But I, I'm, I'm a bit concerned that uh, there hasn't been, you know, that, that 
Pixar seem to be the stuff that I can see in the pipeline doesn't look as interesting as, as stuff in the past. So. Perhaps the the prequel to Monsters Inc. might have a bit more legs because there's been a decent gap between the original film and this. And it, and know. it's about monsters and they've got lots of legs. Yes. <laughs> Very well done, Phil. <laughs> but, but Cars, I don't know, for me, you know, I, I enjoyed Cars, but it always seemed like a concept that didn't really hint at being a series of films, like it, like it wouldn't kind of bear the weight of any kind of extended narrative there, and, and all your comments just seem to kind of support that. Well, of course, uh, it, Cars itself was a self-contained film. This one goes completely off tangent. You know, if anything, it's uh, and that was deliberate. I mean, they say quite at the beginning they wanted to put in a spy story and throw people off guard by setting the first scene on water. You know, you don't get cars on water. So there you go. They wanted to make something as different as they could, um, and they done it. Very, yeah. very different in the wrong direction. So should we should we be worried about Pixar? I mean, the thing with Pixar movies is they always see the trailer and the subject matter, and, and sometimes you look at it and you think, well, how are they going to make a movie out of that? That doesn't really make sense. Such as uh, a film like Up. It's a, mm. it's a great opening scene with, with a, in the trailer with the, the house and the balloons, but then you think... Well, what else are they going to do? You know, how how is that going to be entertaining for an hour and a half? But they always seem to pull it off. Mm. Yeah, they do. There's there's lots of material that they can really take the Mickey out of there, isn't there? I mean, there's lots of stereotypes and all that kind of thing that they can really go into. I mean, calling it brave, you automatically think Braveheart, don't you? So, yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I don't know. I'm slightly concerned that that, that their, the current films in their pipeline don't don't do much for me at the moment. So that's Cars 2 in 3D. The review is up on the website now, avforums.com forward slash movies. And uh, both versions up there, 2D and 3D, as well as the reviews of movies that the guys have covered recently. So we're going to move on. It is the December podcast. Of course, it can mean only one thing. Christmas is coming up soon. Instead of talking about the usual Christmas movies, uh, we're going to talk about alternative Christmas movies, a subject that was suggested by Steve. So Steve, explain what is an alternative Christmas movie? Well... My definition would be a film that's set at Christmas, but not necessarily the plot's not necessarily about Christmas. So the classic example of an alternative Christmas movie is probably Die Hard, which you know is set at Christmas. It's very Christmassy in lots of ways, but clearly the plot's about a bunch of terrorists trying to take over a building and rob the, the vault. Um, or my other example would be Gremlins, which is set at Christmas again, but clearly it's about a bunch of gremlins taking over a town. But I guess the question, the first question is, well, what, what, how would you classify a Christmas film? Because, once again, I wouldn't really call It's a Wonderful Life a Christmas film, necessarily, even though it is set at Christmas. Doesn't he say Merry Christmas, everyone, at the end of it, though? <laughs> yeah, he runs in the street saying Merry yeah. Christmas to everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but they it's say really Merry about Christmas. Real I was going to say, they say Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, at the end of that film. <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't make it a Christmas film, does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. I mean, Ed... I guess the reason we think that that's a Christmas movie maybe is because it's always on at Christmas and always has been since, you know, the invention of TV, it's always been on at Christmas. So is that what makes it a Christmas movie then? Could be, could be. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, the film's really about a man realising his life's worth more than he thinks it is. It just happens to be said at Christmas time. Um, I suppose to make it more poignant that he's about to commit suicide at Christmas. But you're right, Phil, it is on every Christmas and, and that obviously makes it stick in mind but then again so is the wizard of oz <laughs> and that's not a christmas film and no one thinks of it as one yeah and the great uh, escape 
And the Great Escape. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Christmas Day Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're showing our age now. <laughs> yeah. God. The reason I was thinking about it was because I just reviewed um, Nightmare Before Christmas, which clearly is a Christmas film in a sense, but it's also about Halloween and about Halloween hijacking Christmas. So, uh, um, you know, it, would you class that as a Christmas film in a way? Yes, I mean there is there is a Christmassy element to it, but I mean it's it's more alternative in in that sense. In the same way that Gremlins, you know, you could call it a Christmas film because you know there's a whole sequence where she talks about why she doesn't like Christmas, and yet really the film's about the Gremlins, obviously. But then he's given the Maguire as a Christmas gift, isn't he? So it, it is a Christmas movie in that sense, isn't it? It's his Christmas present. I th- I'd say it's an anti-Christmas film because because <laughs> if anything, is there's very little Christmas cheer in it. <laughs> You, you could almost argue that it's a, it's against the commercialisation of Christmas because if he didn't want a gift in the first place, none of that would have happened. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, it's not bad. That's quite a good, uh, quite a good analogy, really. I mean, I think I do think it is a genuinely anti-Christmas film because there's a whole sequence where she talks about why well, she doesn't like Christmas because her dad fell down the chimney pretending to be Santa and broke his neck, and they they didn't realise until they started to smell the smell coming from the chimney um, breast. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't the whole point of of a Christmas film and why that kind of falls into a Christmas movie category because they tend to to highlight some kind of a message that you consider kind of a, a traditional christian christmas message where you know by the end of the film you know people realize that in fact they love their families or, or something like that you know but there again i suppose that's that's pretty much true of about 90 percent of films anyway yeah i mean what, what other films are there that, that don't have a positive message about christmas i suppose bad santa it would be one where clearly it doesn't have a very positive message isn't brazil set at christmas around the festive season they are giving, yeah, that's right, because they're giving him presents, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, must... that's that—that's actually almost about anti-establishment. So that's that's very much you could consider an, an anti-Christmas film or an alternative Christmas film, a different take on the festive season. Uh, Black Christmas. Yeah, that's a serial killer at Christmas, isn't it? Mm. I'm talking about the original, of course, rather than the remake, which is just teenage hack. Um, the original, which the original sort of... one with Margot Kidder or something. It was, Kidder. yes, yeah, 1970. Six. Four? 74? I think it's 74. Might have been 75. But anyway, um, you know, five or six years before um, Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, and uh, a lot of people cite it as the first uh, of the slasher genre. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I suppose it was the first film to use, uh, well, two things really. One, using a holiday as, as the basis mm-hmm. for the plot, as in mm-hmm. Halloween or My Buddy Valentine, things like that. Um, and also one of the first films to have a slasher. I suppose the original slasher movie would be Psycho, obviously. Steve picks up the prize here, 1974. 1974. No. Oh, well done. Simon. Was it Simon, was it? I thought you said Simon, 19- I said 76. All oh, right, there you go. Well, there you go, Simon. You got the you got the prize there. Um, okay. You get, you get a party <laughs> popper. <laughs> what do I win? You then, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> do I win a Santa hat? <laughs> <laughs> you get one party popper there are films well, like um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that's set at Christmas in LA a bit like Die Hard in a way um, again it's, it's in sort of secondary to the plot the fact it happens to be Christmas you, you mentioned Die Hard didn't you um, yeah that's pretty good Christmas film I think yeah, that's the runaway the runaway success I mean that's, that would be the one that everyone um, thinks of when you say alternative Christmas films that would be the one that everyone says oh uh, yeah Die Hard yeah sure I, I'll tell you what raises that though from being just 
kind of a film set at Christmas or an alternative Christmas film is probably the soundtrack because it incorporates Christmas tunes in there. And because it, it uses so much of the kind of imagery and, and general kind of uh, the background, the, the setting, the atmosphere just seems to kind of hit a chord in amongst the action. And I think that that kind of raises it as opposed to, you know, there are various films, um, you know, Rambo being set around the kind of festive season. You know, it doesn't make it feel in any way, you know, Christmassy or anything. Mm hmm. True. Yeah, I think I think it's it's the reason everyone thinks of it is because at the, right at the very end, as the credits are rolling, it's got "Let It Snow, Let It Snow," isn't it? Playing, is it Dean Martin? Yeah, uh, that, that's, and, yeah. yeah, it sets the so tone. You basically, leave the cinema thinking about Christmas, even if you watched it in the middle of summer. When was it released? Was it a summer film? I think it was. Yeah. What about the second one? Was that? That was also set at Christmas and in the snow, because <laughs> it was in Dallas. Third uh, okay. of February, nineteen eighty nine, in the UK, it was released. So hang on, when was it? When was it released in the states then? Because it was released in 88 in the States. It was released in the US in July 88. Yeah. So it was a summer blockbuster then. Boy, there were big gaps between American and UK releases back then, weren't there? Yeah, just a bit. That's July. It's like Star Wars. I, I would have bet my life that I saw Star Wars in September 1977, but it didn't even premiere in the UK until, until Boxing Day. Yeah, Boxing Day. So it didn't go on wide release in the UK until February and March 1978. Yeah, so I I'd, didn't see it until March 1978. I didn't see it till the summer. It was the summer holidays, I remember that, because my gran worked at the cinema, and for babysitting, they used to shove me in the cin cinema all day to watch a film. <laughs> Not much has changed there, then. <laughs> <laughs> Made you the man you are today, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. You, you forget the, the massive difference in release dates back in the old days. In these days, the release program is based around the idea of making as much as possible in that opening weekend or opening week and, right. and big films like um, harry potter the last harry potter movie you know they took 500 million in it worldwide in its first weekend you know i mean the faster you make the money back that you know let you pay off the loans that the, 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 the studios have taken out interest that kind of stuff you know it's all about making it because the shelf life well, the, well the, the life of a film now is so short between you know premiering and going to dvd they've only got a three-month window well, it, it it always used to be about the print. That was always that was always why there was a delay. It was because of the print. Yeah, it costs so much money to make a print. And if you think that in the US it has to open to five thousand screens, that's five thousand prints. That's a hell of a lot of money. So yeah. what they used to do was release it in the states and then send the prints worldwide. After yeah, the, we used to get the uh, the crappy American all, all yep. tram lines all over them and messy when we got to the cinema. It was used to be things used to be pretty. Crap, actually, didn't they? Back in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it, as, as we move on and everything's digital now and it's all sent down phone lines um, to the projectors nowadays, you know, you can have instantaneous releases everywhere now. But anyway, I think yeah. we're digressing. All right, granddads. <laughs> I didn't see Star cable. Wars till about 1990. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, we've, we've covered Gremlins, which was a, a fantastic movie in its own right, obviously, set at Christmas, Die Hard, uh, which actually came out. July, like we said, 88 in the US and February in the UK. Uh, but definitely a, a Christmas feel to that movie. So like, I guess we, we've got to move on to the more Christmassy-themed movies that maybe put a spin on things. And, and by that, uh, the first thing that pops into my head is uh, uh, Bill Murray's Scrooged, uh, obviously set on the classic story of, of Scrooge, but this time he's a TV executive and uh, really, as a comedy, extremely funny. Actually, I've never seen Scrooge. 
I've got it on my. I PDR. never thought Murray was funny anyway. Oh no, 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 Murray, Murray's brilliant. He's absolutely superb in, in Groundhog Day. No, he's not. He is. He's one of the. He's one of the best. Absolute classic of a film. No, he's an absolute comedy genius. That guy. Absolutely. Get out of it! What are you talking about? No way. Right. So, so give me an example of why he's not. He's just. He's not a funny man. Well, give me a reason why he's not funny in the street, or he's not funny on screen. I think he's hysterical on screen. Yeah, it's he's yeah, absolutely brilliant actor. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant comedy actor. His timing is superb. Facial expressions, just his facial expressions sometimes to, in in some scenes like in Ghostbusters, absolutely have me in stitches. Yeah, he works nicely between outright deadpan and just almost a slight caricature. Yeah. You know, it, he doesn't have to go for all out deadpan and just play the complete straight guy. But it just has to be a minor look, a minor kind of raise of the eyebrow. Just underplay it all the way. Yeah. Yeah, I know, totally. And like you say, Groundhog Day, um, again, that was set, that's set towards the end of the festive season, isn't it? It's set towards spring. Um, yeah, February, I think. Yeah, so uh, we can talk about it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but again, a, another film that um, I just can't stop watching once the films if it's on the tv or anything like that and i happen to switch on it's one that i'll watch all the way through because um i think it's an absolutely brilliant film and it wouldn't be as good without bill murray in in the lead role no it's yeah, it's, no, absolutely it's, film. it's almost like a a kind of companion piece in some ways to to scrooge you know it's it's the similar vein of character it's similar cold-hearted man who's you know slowly kind of warmed by you know humanity and the like but against very very funny kind of set pieces and just a, a myriad of kind of small social situations as well it, it it kind of mixes it up nicely yeah i i mean the the one thing that always chokes me up is is the scene where he finds the tramp and he spends about about a week of his groundhog experience trying to save the guy and in the end yeah, gives you know, up, doesn't he? He, he he can't save him because that's his time to die type of thing but he's trying yeah. to do good no but, I think Groundhog Day is, I mean the concept is, as well is brilliant the idea of repeating the day over and over again um, you know it's quite cinematic because because you know you, you would you, you, when you make your movie you'll shoot a same scene from different perspectives and, and therefore it lends itself to that quite well and, and, and Bill Murray is just brilliant at playing a bastard and he's so funny in fact if anything the annoying thing about Groundhog Day is when he turns into a nice guy at the end it's just not very believable because I much prefer Bill when he's not being nice yeah um, same in Scrooge basically um, but but uh, yeah I think I think Groundhog Day is a genuine classic uh, and uh, we, you know, we will test that stand the test of time uh, for many years to come it's, it's really really funny it's got some great characters like Neat, like um, the, the, the insurance salesman Ned as well as Murray himself and and yeah, I, I wish it was said at Christmas, and it would be more appropriate for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but then you know you haven't seen Scrooge. Mark, you've seen Scrooge, have you? Oh yes, of course. And your your thoughts on that? I mean, it is quite a companion piece to to Groundhog Day, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those. It as you say, you know, based on on the classic Dickens tale, it works really well. And, and Murray, he he encompasses all the kind of stages of human emotion going from this kind of cold-hearted cynic um and great that he's made this kind of tv executive and um slowly brought around to you know 
Christmas, the Christmas spirit and, you know, the cheer of, of good hearted humanity and the like, but along the way, it's, you know, it's quite dark and it's, it's pretty brutal in places with its slapstick as well, but it's, it's played to perfection and it just, it's, it's really, it, it remains kind of very compelling. You know, it's still very much got a, a warm heart to it, even though it plays that kind of slightly alternative Christmas message, which is something that I never get from things like Bad Santa and the like, you know, when they try to play towards a darker message. So uh, another thing, Mark, is that it was directed by Richard Donner. I mean, obviously something that's that's not known for his, his comedy. In the same way that Bill Murray, you know, plays things just slightly off straight at, at so many times, I think I think it works that that the way in which Richard Donner directs it, it, it seems like very much almost a, a, a straight film at times, but just with these big kind of um, overly elaborate moments of slapstick and the, the ghosts themselves are, yeah. are quite, you know, they could easily be put into just a, a straightforward kind of almost slightly chilling tale, take on Dickens' story and, and they'd work perfectly there as well. Yeah, it's just a shame. I don't think it's aged very well. I mean, it was uh, released in eighty eight, nineteen eighty eight. Um, very eighties in in tone, I think. Yeah, no, that, that that's a fair point. But then I, I think, to a certain extent, you could you could throw a lot of that kind of criticism at, at a lot of kind of Bill Murray's best work that they you know tend to feel just that bit more kitsch. But I, I think that's part of the charm of it that I think. Certainly, the the best Christmas films tend to almost feel slightly of another age. I don't think you, you tend to enjoy or warm to a Christmas film in the same way when it feels so pertinent and so now. You know, it has to have a slightly kind of otherworldly quality from a from a different era. Speaking of Richard Donner, um, not doing comedy, he does of course do action and, and Lethal Weapon. Uh, I believe was set at Christmas as well. So another example of an action film that just happens to use. Actually, an LA-based action film that just uses Christmas as a backdrop to the uh, to the events of the movie. Uh, well, you've mentioned one film that's a great Christmas film. Well, certainly a film that's set at Christmas, and that's Love Actually. Yeah, um, very Christmassy, but really isn't necessarily about Christmas. It just happens to be set during Christmas. It even has a countdown to Christmas, doesn't it? And the Christmas number one plot line and everything. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I really want to hate. Um, but actually, I think it's a fantastic film, and I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. There's there's certain storylines that I don't like. Um, I mean, obviously, it, it follows about seven or eight different characters, main characters, and different strands of their their lives and so on. And there's a few of them that I, I don't necessarily like. I mean, the Keira Knightley thing, I'm I'm not too hot on. But the the one with um, Colin Firth storyline, I really like that uh, where he meets. Yeah, the, it's very sweet. Yeah, I, I like that. And I actually like Hugh Grant as Prime Minister, and I want him as Prime Minister. <laughs> I, I really like the storyline with um, Emma Thompson. I, I think it's not a funny bit, actually, but the bit when she discovers her husband's cheating on her, or at least thinking about cheating on her, yeah. uh, is absolutely heartbreaking. She she handles it brilliantly, and because because it happens to people all the time, it was actually a really emotional moment within the film. But it's also genuinely really funny, yeah. even though it occasionally feels like a bunch of outtakes from other Richard Curtis movies. It's one of those films you really want to hate because it's a romantic comedy. It's about eight or nine different story strands where the characters have links to each other and so on. It's got Hugh Grant in it. It's got Martine McCutcheon in it. It's got Liam Neeson in it. You really want to hate it, but actually it's quite a sweet film and some of the storylines, like we say, are uh, genuinely really, really 
good storylines. And then you have your throwaway ones like, um, oh, what do you call like it? The guy, the guy goes to Wisconsin. Yeah, the, uh, what do you call him in the BT adverts? Uh, oh, Christ, Chris yeah. Marshall. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, I mean, that that's, you know, a bit unbelievable. Well, you weren't selling it to begin with, but I think you sold me over now. <laughs> it also one of those films that really catches, I mean, that kind of beautiful, it really photographs London well. Uh, and it looks London looks amazing in it, and and the Christmassy London looks. I mean, it's not a, lo- a Christmas London that really exists clearly because there's snow and all this sort of stuff, and everything looks very picturesque. But I think it's one of those films that kind of catches that ideal Christmas London yeah. look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well. it, it, the cinematography is beautiful, really good. Yeah. And the other storyline I, I, I really like and I forgot about is Liam Neeson and and his stepson. That that whole thing that's really quite funny, uh, and and you actually quite like the little guy. Yeah, because he's he's got he's got a lot of spirit and and really quite funny. He's got some of the the, the funniest lines in the film. Yeah, the the other comedy little sketch thing that goes all the way through is Martin Freeman and Joanna Page, who's everybody will know her from uh, Gavin and Stacey, who are the body doubles on the film set, uh, and they have to body double for the sex scenes, and all the all the their scenes are done in the nude, <laughs> simulating sex, and that was really quite quite funny. I mean it's Again, you know, it's it's stretching believability, but at the same time, uh, really c- quite funny. The only bit I don't like is Keira Knightley. Just, uh, I don't know, just don't like that storyline. Does he? I don't quite get, I don't really understand the conclusion of that storyline either, because uh, the guy is kind of obsessed, well, in love with her, but it's his best friend's wife. And then at the end, she gives him a kiss. And I, I never quite understood what, what it was. You know, well, well, that... The, 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 the new mom didn't really... Um, well, well, but, that 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 was it. That that was as far as it was going to go, and yeah. and and both sort of understood that he got his chance to say what he what he wanted to say using the cards and the bit of music, and obviously she thanked him. But you, I think it was pretty can't obvious. Blame him for being obsessed with Kira Knightley. I mean, she's no breasts. Just horrible. You're you're the first person, not the first person that said that to me. But, uh, <laughs> I, I can see beyond the knockers too. She's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Is this yeah, making you're a few the edit? podcast too late, Steve? <laughs> we were doing this last year. She's awful. <laughs> well, if she's listening, I'm up for it, Kira. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's more disturbing: her listening to the podcast or yeah. yeah. Um, going back to the film briefly, <laughs> uh, the other plotline I really like is is um, Bill Nye is the washed up old rock star who's got one last chance of redemption with a with his terrible terrible cover of Love Is All Around. Yeah. Um, but changed to Christmas Is All Around. <laughs> yeah. Um, which makes the Christmas number one. <laughs> and and obviously his manager uh, played perfectly by yeah. uh, Gregor Fisher, who's everybody all knows um, Rab Sinesbit. Yeah, it's a very sweet relationship too between the pair of them. Um, yeah, it's, 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 like I said, it's a film that you, initially you think well, it doesn't sound very good, but actually it's well really worth seeing. It's, it's a great movie. It's turning to to me, it's actually becoming a bit of a classic, really, over the years. So that's uh, that's love. Actually, I'm, I know a lot of our listeners absolutely hate that film, but uh, like I say, I mean, you want to go into it hating it, and for some of us, uh, it's actually quite a good little Christmas movie. Uh, so I guess we've got to then move on to the traditional Christmas stories and. Uh, uh, I guess, Steve, Christmas Carol, it's been made um, teen times. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Scrooge before, which is obviously a variation of, of, the, of the classic Dickens story. And there's been, a, I mean, I can think of a couple of film versions of the story, uh, one with uh, Albert Finney playing Scrooge. Obviously, there's the Zemeckis um, CG animated version with uh, Jim Carrey as Scrooge. Um, there's Scrooge McDuck in the Disney version. Um, and there's uh, the uh, Muppet, Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, and there's, of course, Blackadder in, in their reverse version of it where he starts off being nice and ends up being a git at the end, um, which I think is probably my favourite version of it, in fact. You missed um, Alistair Sim? Oh, yeah. How... I knew there was another version. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be the definitive version, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, Alistair Sim. When, when was that made? I, I thought The Muppets was the definitive version. <laughs> well, no, there, that is, there is a good argument to say that, that The Muppet Christmas Carol is the definitive version Who's Scrooge in the Muppet Christmas Carol? Michael Caine. Caine, isn't it? And and I hold oh, yeah. to, and I I hold to the opinion that it it is one of his best acting performances. It it it's actually really good. I mean, he he plays it you know straight, and towards the end, as a kind of man who realizes the error of his ways, he plays a kind of broken figure really really well, and it works against the backdrop of you know kermit so you're saying that michael kane said his best performance to play opposite a frog <laughs> yeah yeah i'll say that what the hell <laughs> so hang on we got so we've got alistair sim as scrooge albert finney as scrooge michael kane as scrooge bill murray is a version of scrooge um scrooge mcduck didn't patrick stewart do a version for tv or something i think or, you might be right yes, there he did hbo yeah, and obviously Jim Carrey doing his version of Scrooge, uh, Rowan Atkinson's reverse take. Oh, and I suppose there is also um, Matthew McConaughey in Ghost of Girlfriends Past, which is the same story but not set at Christmas. Yeah, I think we'll what? gloss over that one. <laughs> oh, God. Kira Knightley and now that. What is the matter with you? Hey, I just mentioned it. I didn't say I'd like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You play on an endless loop, I know. Uh, 1999 for Patrick Stewart, A Christmas Carol. It was a TV movie. Uh, it also had uh, Richard E. Grant in it. Yeah, it was quite oh, good, actually. He would have been, yeah, been Cratchit, wouldn't he? <laughs> I was going to say, I must admit that when I watched um, <clears throat> Zemeckis' version, um, obviously, you know, the, the animation was, was very impressive and the 3D was quite impressive. But I, I just kept sitting there the whole time thinking, why didn't they just do this with real people? Yeah. <laughs> Why are they bothering with this motion capture? It's one thing to do motion capture with something that's very unrealistic, like, I don't know, a Navi and Avatar. But but if it's just someone playing a human being, why don't you shoot them from live action then? It just didn't make any sense to me. Plus, there was something slightly, slightly unnerving seeing that little Bob Cratchit version of Gary Oldman where it looked like Gary Oldman but didn't look like Gary Oldman. It was slightly bizarre. Yeah, that's also, a discussion also, for another also, time, though. I was also a bit yeah. bored because... Um, because you know the story, basically. Yeah. yeah. Isn't I that looked at... Carol, is it so well, familiar? Well, you see, that's the thing. I mean, it's such a familiar thing. that That's maybe why movies such as Scrooge and such as the Blackadder, that's maybe why they become popular, because it's a familiar story, but it's done slightly differently, uh, slightly alternatively to, to what you're familiar with. Yeah, I mean, and that's the reason why Ghosts of Girlfriends Pass is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah. no, you're right. Though. I mean, I, I think any any familiar story that's done where they put a twist on it always works well. I'm trying to think of another example of a film where they've taken a, a familiar story and then completely turned it on its head. 
it it works very much by by putting that twist on it but yet they they do still follow you know the basic structure and and, and the basic message as well so often you know uh, no matter how much you you move away from from the the core elements of the story you still have basically a tale of of redemption and, and that that's kind of quite quite an enduring narrative you know that's why why it continues to be remade yeah i think it's a universal th- message uh i just think that over over familiarity with the plot can make actually watching a film version quite boring because you know what's going to happen you know okay here comes marley here comes a ghost of christmas past a ghost of christmas present ghost of christmas future oh and he's all nice and happy at the end so if anyone hasn't seen it by the way i'm sorry about the spoilers <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, okay, let's go back to the one we mentioned at the beginning, which is it's a wonderful life, which you know has a positive message, is very much related to Christmas. But I still don't think it's necessarily a Christmas film, even though it's set during Christmas. It's almost a story about a man's delusion. You know, it, it could be a, a religious life. film. It could be a film about a, a man having a slow breakdown. Well, yeah, if you don't want to take into take it, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't believe in in angels, for example, then clearly Clarence is just a figment of his imagination. And, and you're right, at the beginning of the film, he's had a breakdown, he's lost everything, he's going to kill himself, and then has some sort of epiphany and decides not to. Um, but the film itself is, 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 is about his life. It's a film about his life yeah, and how, how, much, how much he affected everybody else uh, through what he did. And, and, and obviously it's a film about someone who desperately wants to leave his hometown but never gets a chance to and then realises at the end that, I suppose a bit like Dorothy, there's no place like home. The fact is it's Christmas Eve when he's trying to kill himself is actually incidental to the plot. And that's why I would say it's not really a Christmas film. I suppose a lot of because it uh, clans and a lot of it is in in um, flashback. It, it has its real similarities to you know the Dickens Christmas Carol, doesn't it? It's it has that um, uh, strand through through yeah, the story, and it has but, that bit where he shows him what life would have been like in the town if he'd never existed, um, which is a kind of is a kind of a version of the Ghost of Christmas Future in a way, or Ghost of Christmas Alternative Future. Um, and in fact, they brilliantly sort of ape off that in Back to the Future Part Two, where they have the alternative 1985, where uh, where Marty's father never existed, well, died in the 70s, and, and that that's very reminiscent of the sort of alternative version of of Bedford Falls in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, yeah, which I absolutely love, by the way. I think it's it's one of those films that you know makes you cry your eyes out when you're seeing it. Um, beautifully made movie told it, which was a flop when it came out. God, you you cry at an awful lot of films for a bloke. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm, I I can't cry in real life, but you put me in front of a movie and I cry like a. Because <laughs> 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 they use tear gas on me. That's kind of use <laughs> on crowds. So get out of my face, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just quoting Trading Places. Yeah, I, I, I know Trading Another Places. Christmas film. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah, of course. <laughs> Trading places. Once again, not yeah. Oh, that's a perfect example of a film that's set at Christmas, but is not about Christmas. I, I've got to say, the best w- segue you've ever done. Yeah, best segue you've ever done. You can't use it because I was swearing. Best segue you've ever done, but also one of, one of the the best comedy films I think. Um, Trading places. It'd, it'd be in my top ten of comedy. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, definitely, definitely. Really, Eddie Murphy at the peak of his power. Uh, when he was young and hungry and still really funny and just brilliant all round. So it's such a quotable film as well. <laughs> it's just one of those films that you can quote and people know exactly what it is that you're talking about. 
Yeah, it, it is. It is brilliant. It's also actually one of the few films that genuinely gets trading correct when they're trading um, orange futures. Today is exactly what you would do: short the market and then um, and then buy back when it collapses. Um, it's used as a trading tool actually in some uh, some firms. God, why why do you have this habit of making things really boring? It is a great film, though, as you pointed out, Sailor Christmas. Yeah, I think we've it, covered that point. It, I was just going to say it's it's an interesting film, though, in some ways, for following the the traditional Christmas message because most do tend to tend to go down the same route of uh, a Christmas Carol in in some way, kind of redeeming a central character. Whereas, it as a Christmas film, it's more kind of a battling movie. You know, they 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 have an obstacle to overcome. You know, there isn't necessarily that great a shift in you know the 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 central characters in the in the protagonist's viewpoint of the world no you're right it's, it's very much an 80s film in a sense that they're, all they do is they're there to out to basically make money and punish the dukes for their uh for their behavior aren't they yeah it's basically that you know we don't like them yeah we we have beaten them that kind of thing but but again it, it's it in some ways, it's actually a better Christmas film than many of the ones we've been listing because it, it's got that kind of feel-good factor at the end of it, based on almost the, on the high of of overcoming that obstacle of of beating someone, you know, rather than just oh he learnt the error of his ways. Well, well done, you know. It, not much really changes in that story. And it's got Jamie Lee Curtis in it. That's what I was thinking. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis topless for the first time, which is. Uh... Yeah. And <laughs> the possible moment in cinema history. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas. Have a look at these. <laughs> well, at least, she, at least she's got something to show, unlike Kira Knightley. Absolutely. <sighs> All I've taken out of that is that I like Love Actually, and I'm really quite depressed. At that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't love it. You, you just like it. You love it. <laughs> <laughs> so i guess we've run out of time on the movies podcast for december i guess all we need to do now is uh, wish all our listeners a merry christmas so do have uh, a great christmas and a happy new year merry christmas merry christmas everyone merry christmas and we'll be back again in january for our next movies podcast where we look at the best of 2011 in terms of blu-ray and we'll give you our list of the best movies the best discs the best box sets and the best of the best uh, so join us for that that will be the 7th of January all I need to do now is thank Steve, Simon and Mark thanks very much guys cheers Phil thanks cheers, very much Phil. Phil this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon the AV podcast was presented by Phil Hinton original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove the AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright all content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only the AV podcast Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.